terms of her overall approach to business tax reform, she what, what she wanted to do was first lay out uh, some clear loophole closers, but also then take a longer look at, at how we can make sure that we're creating the right incentives to invest here uh, and not abroad. A detour here for a minute uh, to a more political issue than you possibly usually handle. I have to ask you about uh, Wall Street regulation, the Secretary's intentions, and how uh, we, the voting public, can take her at her word uh, when she is not disclosing uh, the content of her Wall Street speeches for which she was paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, look, I, I think if you look at uh, the record on disclosure here, we have one candidate, Secretary Clinton, who has uh, produced her tax returns, who has... Yeah, no, no, wait. Let's, much let's, more is known about. I, I completely understand that, and I am absolutely not creating a false equivalence here, and, and people will write and yell at me for this, but, but I'm specifically not going there. What I want to know about is this very specific issue about this candidate, Wall Street regulation and her disclosure of Wall Street speeches. Well, I think you should just look at, at what she has been clear about on the campaign. She has called for defending Dodd-Frank in the strongest possible terms, ensuring that we don't go back to the rules that existed before the crisis. She has called for additional steps, like a new bank fee on, on the largest financial institution. So she has a strong agenda here. She's been running on it from the beginning. It's consistent with the principles she's laid out before. And I think that uh, the American people understand the difference between that and, and a candidate who has called for uh, rolling back Dodd-Frank, getting rid of elements like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I wonder how often, uh, as you guys talk policy uh, back at headquarters in Brooklyn, the idea of it's the economy stupid comes up, which was, of course, the buzzword from uh, President Bill Clinton's campaign. You know, I think there's no question that the American people want to hear how you're going to make their lives better today. What are you going to do to make their lives better for uh, people's children? And I think that if you look at the economic debate, the choice is pretty clear. On the one hand, you have Secretary Clinton, who not only has spent her entire career fighting on behalf of working families, but has put out specific proposals that would improve our economy today and improve our economy over the long term. And then on the other hand, you have a candidate in Donald Trump, who, if you look at his business record, if you look at his temperament, if you look at his policies, would really put our economy at risk and focus on, on, on ideas that would benefit people like himself that would actually benefit his own family rather than, uh, than working families. So I think that choice is clear. I think uh, voters understand that, but we're also going to spend the rest of this campaign making sure that we take that case uh, to the voters. I will say uh, on the way out of here that we have called the Trump campaign. We have asked for their advisors. Uh, we will have them on when they get them. When we get them, rather. Jacob Liebenluft is a senior policy advisor uh, to the Hillary Clinton campaign. Jacob, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. All right, so let's detach the campaign spin from Jacob's last answer there and explore the idea behind it a little bit, that each of the candidates in this race is trying to capitalize on economic uncertainty, either real or perceived among the voting public. There is, though, a whole you-need-to-look-in-the-mirror thing going on here, too, because this campaign and the candidates in it are creating no small amount of anxiety themselves. Marketplace's Sabri Beneshore has that one. Donald Trump today hit a recurring theme with his campaign that everything is terrible. This is the weakest so-called recovery since the Great Depression. It is the slowest economic expansion, but it's also the longest economic expansion since the Great Depression. Justin Wolfers is a professor of economics at the University of Michigan. The unemployment rate right now is 4.9%. That is low for recent economic history. It is low over the long run of economic history. 
it suggests we're at a point where most people, not everyone, but most people who want to find work can find work. He says this week's census data show inequality and poverty are falling and incomes are rising. But better doesn't mean good enough. Over the long term, some sectors of the U.S. economy are on the decline and some regions have slower growth than others. I think everyone could benefit a little bit from hopping in their cars and, and taking a drive and seeing what some of the country is experiencing. Paul Gronke teaches political science at Reed College. Rural or, you know, mountain areas, uh, coal country, Appalachia, have not been doing well. Swing states in particular seem to have lower income growth. All of this can be true and anxiety producing alongside the fact that things are improving almost everywhere. But this election seems to have a special relationship with economic anxiety. Mark Hamrick is an analyst with Bankrate.com. They did a survey asking people what the greatest threat to their economic security was. Almost two-thirds of those responding said the outcome of the presidential election was the top threat. The election's about anxiety and it's causing anxiety. In New York, I'm Sabri Benish.